My name's Eric. Welcome to E3. As uh, Dan said, today we sent off uh, Pastor Mark and his family this morning, and we kind of had uh, discussed, like, what were we going to do for, for this particular gathering, and we decided that, you know, I would kind of do a, a teaching. Mark and I saw Shrek 4 earlier this week with our families, and kind of, I guess it's kind of like a two-by-something series, because we didn't really talk about what we were going to kind of uh, respectively discuss, but he did his message this morning and uh, just kind of told me to, to, to get my take on it as well. So I can tell you that Shrek 4, uh, thankfully, is not nearly as bad as Shrek 3 was. Uh, anybody see Shrek 3? Yeah, woo, that got a woo? Man, that, that, that single movie was probably as responsible for the death, the temporary death of E3 at the movies as anything else, because it was like the worst cinematic experience I ever had. Um, and, but we saw it this, this week, and has anybody seen the movie yet, Shrek 4? Okay, a couple. Uh, as Mark did this morning, has anybody seen the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? The Christmas Jimmy Stewart thing. Okay, you are halfway there. Because Shrek 4 is is very, very similar premise to It's a Wonderful Life. Basically, It's a Wonderful Life, you know, Jimmy Stewart kind of goes through this thing where he wishes he was never been born. Uh, Angel grants him his wish, and he gets to kind of see an alternate reality of what life would be like if he didn't exist. And basically, this is what Shrek goes through. He is is, uh, having a midlife crisis, like... His life has become just a repeating series of changing diapers, uh, dealing with somewhat annoying friends, and basically wondering, like, is this all that is left of life? And he says, like, one time he goes, you know, I used to be an ogre, and he's, re- he's remembering back at, of, of the times when life was exciting, and, and he was, I guess, a little bit more scary than he, than he is now. Uh, He he says uh, at one point, you know, I just want to go back to when the world was simple. And so basically through, I won't give away the plot too much, uh, such as it is, but basically he makes a deal with Rumpelstiltskin and gets cast into this alternate reality where he can see what life would have been like if he had never existed. And he has to go back and kind of make Fiona fall in love with him again, convince Donkey to be his best friend, and so on and so on and so on. Um, So... You know, we, we sit through these movies and we kind of come out and go like, well, man, where do we go with this? But I was instantly struck with, with the idea of Shrek getting to the point where he no longer wanted to inhabit his own life, where his life had become, in his eyes, so boring, so repetitious, so mundane that he was like, you know what, I, I need out of this thing. And that really struck me because I think most of us, if we haven't gone through that already, we'll go through that. Uh, It might be an age thing, it might be something else, but sooner or later you're going to become confronted with this point in your life where you're like, you know what, I think my best times, my most exciting times seem like they're behind me. Like you get to the point maybe where you're like, You know what? The dynamic, that vitality, that adventure, that just kind of wah factor is gone. It might be college for some of you. It might be, you know, your 30s. Um, It might be a relationship that you look back on and go, somehow life seemed better before. 
And the reality is, is that there's this hunger, I think, inside of us when you get to that point of like, I want something more. I want something more than the diapers. I want something more than getting kids up and and out the door every morning in time for school. That's a very, very real part of life. And in Shrek's case, he gets uh, what some of us would really, really value, like an opportunity to go see that, that more adventurous part of life. But uh, there, are, there are all kinds of ramifications in the movie for that. But what I'd like to do for us just really briefly tonight is take a picture and take a look at what Scripture has to say about it. So um, this is not in your fridge folds because, like I said, Mark and I uh, prepared kind of separately. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to the book of Acts chapter 1. It's right after the Gospel of John, right before the book of Romans. And we're just going to take a look at, in a few different pictures, of, of a few different passages of Scripture of kind of the way, I think, uh, to make sense of our lives in this respect. So let me set the story for you. Uh, Jesus has been resurrected. He has hung out with his disciples for 40 days, teaching them, and then he has gone back to God, gone back to heaven, gone back to be with the Father, this time for good. He's not coming back. The disciples are now by themselves, and they're waiting in Jerusalem uh, for the Holy Spirit to come. And there's not... uh, there's this big group of disciples, but you know, there's this small group of guys that hung out with Jesus. They were the 12, right? But there's not 12 anymore. Because why? Because of Judas. This guy, this close friend of Jesus, betrayed him, committed suicide. So now there's only 11 disciples. And just not to go too far into it, but the fact that there are only 11 disciples is very important to the 12, to the disciples. And so there's this sense of like, well, before we can kind of move on with life, we need a 12th disciple. We need a 12th kind of member of the core group. And basically it related to kind of the way there were 12 tribes of Israel and the disciples really felt like, you know, we need 12. We need 12. There are 12 tribes. We need 12. So we're going to pick up the story in chapter 1, verse 13, kind of the second half of verse 13. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Now we're going to skip down to verse 23 because this is kind of the the place where they, they pick the 12th disciple. They nominated two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they all prayed, O Lord, you know every heart. Show us which of these men you have chosen as an apostle to replace Judas in this ministry, for he has deserted us and gone where he belongs. And they cast lots. Matthias was selected to become an apostle with the other eleven. Do you know what's significant about those lists to me? Out of the 12, uh, most of them do not kind of pop up in the New Testament ever again. If you know the story at all, there's these kind of real popular apostles. These are popular disciples. There's, there's Paul, who's another one. Peter. James gets some mention, Thomas, you know, there's lots of 
traditions outside the Bible that says, well, we think this t- member of the 12 went to India and started the church there, and this member maybe went to Ethiopia. But get this, most of the 12 that are listed there, they just fade out of the story. They're just gone. They got no kind of name checks the way Peter and Paul did. They got no uh, books of the Bible named after them. But I think they were faithful to what they were entrusted with. And so I got to thinking, like, what made these guys keep going? Because surely at times they sat around and were like, man, Paul's doing all this amazing stuff. Peter's doing all this. I'm, I'm handing out soup to the widows. I wish I could be off doing that stuff. But somehow they, I believe, remained faithful to the sense that they were with Jesus and they were entrusted with the beginning of this movement called the church. And I think sometimes like that's our life too. Like we want... The recognition. We want the excitement. We want the adventure, but all we're handed is kind of like maybe an eight-hour job, eight hours a day, or we're handed the kids to get out the door to school, or handed the same classes day after day, and we go, God, what, what is the meaning of this? I want a different life because it doesn't seem like I'm doing much good to anybody here. But, the most, but these apostles, the ones that never got the recognition, they just did what I think Jesus wanted them to do. And they, they were a part of starting the church in Jerusalem. And I kept asking myself, like, what, what keeps them going? What would keep me going in the times when I feel like Shrek did in the movie and I just want something more exciting? Because I've been there. I mean, I've been, you know, everything from on tour going across the country and doing all this stuff, and then I'm, you know, slamming down coffee at at 7.30 in the morning and yelling at kids to get their shoes on so we can go to school. What is it that makes it all worthwhile? Well, uh, the Apostle Paul, I think, really clues me in to this. And it's found... uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you turn over, I don't know, maybe 50 pages, 60 pages or so, to the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians. I want to tell you that the 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians is one of the most significant chapters in the entire New Testament. It is a chapter that is all about why we do what we do. And it's a really long, just Paul talking about this thing that's going to happen at the end of time. You guys have heard me talk about before called the resurrection. And what we see, I want to suggest to you tonight, is that when we see things in light of what is going to happen at the end of all of this, it makes everything change and it makes everything make sense. Let me, let me just read a couple passages Paul's basically saying, you know, people are going to say that the resurrection didn't happen. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And he's the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we are all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there's an order to this resurrection. 
Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. And he says this, after that, the end will come when he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler and authority and power. Then he ends this way. Then when all things are under his authority, the son will put himself under God's authority so that God who gave his son authority over all things will be utterly supreme over everything, everywhere. Basically what Paul is saying is this, that that because Jesus was resurrected, that eventually everything will change. Just like Patrick was singing earlier, everything must change. Things will never, ever be the same again. And why that is significant is that, is that when we are laboring, when we think that we wished we had the fame, we wish we had the excitement, and all we're doing is maybe teaching kids in a school, when maybe all we're doing is maybe hugging a friend, when that friend calls eight times in a row and they're still distraught because their, their boyfriend or girlfriend break up, and we take the call and we talk to our friends, that those things matter no matter how insignificant or mundane or routine we think they are. Because I think that it's significant that the world is not going to be abandoned. It's not like we live in a, in a, in a, in a car that's going to be hurtling over a cliff and God is just like, I'm going to get you guys out of there. I'm going to get you out. Come, get out of there. No, God wants to rescue the car. It's not going to go over the cliff. And every little tiny thing that you do that is a part of his kingdom is a foretaste of when that's going to happen. And that's what resurrection means. And I think all the disciples knew that. Oh my gosh, a dead man came back to life. Everything is different now. This world's not going to be just spun out to darkness. But every time I dig in to the love that's, that I find in Jesus and I share it with somebody else and I, just, and I give somebody a, a glass of water or I feed somebody who's hungry or I just hug a friend of mine who needs it, That's a foretaste of what God's going to do at the end of everything. If you've never read the 21st book, the 21st chapter of the book of Revelation, oh man, this is something. This is like the last page and a half of the Bible. When the writer writes this, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people and he will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. One of my favorite verses, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death No more sorrow or crying or pain. All these things, gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings. And I will be their God, and they will be my children. If you go to Europe, 
you'll see uh, a lot of huge cathedrals, huge monuments to uh, a time when, when uh, all communities like, kind of revolved around the church and revolved around God. And uh, I wanted to show you a couple pictures. If, if we can bring the, the first picture. This is Notre Dame. Uh, this cathedral was built over 185 years. You know what the average lifespan was uh, when this cathedral was being built? Average person lived 30 years. So every person almost that labored over this never, ever saw it completed. They did their part under the direction of some people who had knew what was going on, and then they moved on, and then somebody came in and built on top of that work, and built on top of that work. You see the next slide? This is the inside of it. And maybe that moves you, maybe it doesn't. But the point is this. We work for a master, master architect who has a plan and who is going to rebuild and restore everything. And we can be like Shrek and feel like all I'm doing is like, all I'm doing is just kind of maybe nailing something into the wall here. I feel like nothing I'm doing is mattering. But God says, no, 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 no. I am building something beautiful and masterful. And one day, I believe that we're going to be able to see that thing finished and created beautifully and perfectly. And you know what we're going to do then? We're going to be able to point and go like, you see that little corner up there? That's my corner. I didn't build the whole thing. I didn't even come up with a plan. But I was supposed to build that corner, and I built it, and it wouldn't be the same without that. And so when we get tempted, I feel like, to escape our lives, I feel like we're challenged to stop and go like, no, 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 no. Where is the kingdom at right now, right here in your life? Where is God bringing his kingdom and his love into fruition? And that is where we're working. And one day, one day, you will stand and you will see where this was all going.